Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Frank Show, your parish podcast. And we're doing a real quick little interview. Um, my name is Edmund Mitchell. I'm the Director of Evangelization and Catechesis here at St. Francis. And I just wanted to do a quick interview with um, a wonderful, wonderful woman, Anna Carter, um, who currently works with LPI. Anna, what's your, what's your position at LPI? Digital Content Specialist. Whoa! Uh, yeah. <laughs> Basically writing and content strategy. Okay, so you're not just helping people with their iPhones, you're like actually creating stuff. So um, Anna is has graciously agreed to come on, and um, I've been watching her start this amazing, amazing ministry movement. How, do you, how would you describe it? The Eden Invitation. Why, why don't you describe it a little bit? Yeah, so really at its heart, we want to be a movement, right? A movement of uh, Catholics... Um, all Christians are welcome <laughs> with you know very similar worldview yeah um, to to really empower people to live to live vibrantly like a whole Christian anthropology mm-hmm. um, going back to the beginning what was the original intention the original design of God's creation um, and how can we live dynamically in that space Um uh, particularly for people who maybe struggle with the original tension of, of God's design, um, whether that is in uh, dealing with same-sex desires uh, or some gender identity uh, issues, um, but to really uh, meet people where they are uh, and to equip them to live uh, hope-filled, resurrected lives in the midst of that uh, longing and, yeah. and tension. Yeah, this is a huge topic. I mean, um, on the Frank Show recently, we've been doing a lot of different topics dealing with, you know, Jesus or being um, a missionary disciple. And this is, I think, one of the first times that we've just kind of approached one of these very huge issues just head on. And um, I, you know, I in particular am super passionate about this topic because I think there's such a need. There's such an a need in the church for for just good ministry to, for people who are hurting. Um, where where did the idea to start the Eden Invitation come from for you? Well, at its heart, uh, it's it's my story. Uh, so I have experienced attraction to women for quite some time now, but uh, that occurred kind of after my initial conversion. Uh, And so I always experienced these desires in the context of the broader church and in the context of the broader church teaching um, as I was in ministry and was a theology major and and all of that. Um, Where'd you go? uh, Franciscan. Nice. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And then I worked with net ministries for several years. uh, Sweet. And, you know, and I think just recognizing, just the, talking to different people and uh, encountering others who, who struggle with this and this kind of conversation of like, wh- you know, what um, what's the church doing? Who's reaching out to millennials? Yeah. Um, basically, yeah. you know, um, is there a way to, to speak about this in a language that's maybe more accessible to, to 20-somethings, mm-hmm. um, even to teenagers, um, recognizing that uh, some of the, the documents and the way, you know, if, if you're a 21 year old college student and you're like trying to figure out your life and you're like, wow, every time I get drunk, I kiss people of the same sex more than the opposite sex. I wonder what this means for me. Like, 
I don't know if like the pastoral care of homosexual persons from the CDF is like, <laughs> the first thing you should yeah. read. I you're like, don't. yeah, you're like, hmm. In between uh, physics and chemistry, I'm going to just download a 35 page document on yeah, very like right. speaking to and and it's not even speaking to me. It's speaking to other you know people who work in the church or pastors and exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what I love so much about you know especially the the blog posts you guys are putting out and stuff. And I think. Um, you know, there, we walk such a fine line in ministry between um, wanting wanting to share Jesus, but also not wanting to kind of, um, I guess, give it away sometimes too quickly. I think sometimes, um, I mean, the, the the site, the Eden Invitation, I mean, it, it looks like a site that I would feel comfortable even giving to my non-Christian or Catholic friends and just saying, hey, look, this is from a Catholic perspective, yeah, but just check out the site and you're not going <laughs> to, you're not going to be like, ah, too much Jesus, you know, or like... Um, so I love that. I love that so much. Um, well, do, do you, I feel like one of the hardest parts in this type of ministry is kind of defining terms. Um, mm. do you have, do you have some ways that you, cause you mentioned people with gender, um, confusion. Is that how you say it? And then people with same sex attraction. Um, yeah. So I, I think it is interesting. There is a lot of conversation around, yeah, around certain terms. Uh, and, and I, I think, think a lot of people don't. There, for, on the one hand, a lot of people don't want to offend, and on the other hand, um, a lot of people are like, "It's not, it's not a disorder," or "I'm not confused," you know. And and that's such a fine, that's such a fine line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some of that stuff, I, I think we're still, we're even still talking it out. You know, the gender identity piece you bring up. I mean, I think. I mean, even the culture, right? Yeah. You look at some of these issues and like the culture can't even decide what yeah. word. Like I have this, oh, I don't know where it is. It's like somewhere over there. I have this National Geographic is- issue about identity, right? Yeah. And I mean, it lists, well, I mean, people talk about how Facebook, you know, you can pick 50 different genders and yeah. then that was too small. And so then they needed to redo it. So um, for now, um, I think it's like gender identity questioning is probably, gotcha. yeah. right? Uh, so, and, and I think that covers a lot, right? Questioning, am I a man or am I a woman? Questioning, should I transition? Questioning, etc. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, and then I would say same-sex attraction is the language the church, uh, uses. And so we are, we're using that as well. Um, personally, I prefer same-sex desires. Huh. Um, cause I think it gets at more of the heart of and the raw reality of the struggle. Mm. Um, but it also, also I don't like the word struggle. Personally, yeah. I think it's overused, but I think it gets at the heart of that experience of tension. Yeah. Um, but I think it also gets at the solution better. So wait, ex- well, I feel like that's pretty deep. I feel like that's a deep thing you're passionate about. What? So yeah, explain that. What do you mean? It gets, how does desire get more at the heart than attraction? Right. Um, because at the end of the day, every single human being, right, when, when we speak about what we're made for, when we speak about uh, where we come from and where we're going as human beings, we we do speak about it in terms of desire, right? Mm-hmm. That we ultimately have a desire for God, that mm-hmm. God is the fulfillment of desire. You know, there's that great quote, I'll paraphrase from C.S. Lewis, that if I find in myself desires, nothing in this world can satisfy, I can only conclude I was made for another world, right? Um, And what an example of somebody who 
particularly if they're living within the church, if they're accepting the church's view of the human person, male and female, as complementary. Um, we'll talk about desires nothing in this world can satisfy, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, and But implicit within, within that statement of same-sex desires, it's like, okay, well, where else can these desires be directed? Mm -hmm, yeah. um, and they can't. You know, whereas where else can my attraction be directed? Ah. Yeah, in some ways right now, I mean, I don't know if this is accurate, but in some ways right now, um, same-sex attraction seems more passive. Like, that happens to me, whereas same-sex desire sounds much more, um, like, per personable. There's a person, there's a subject who is mm. who's doing the desiring, whereas maybe, like, my attraction, well, I'm just attracted, I'm attracted to girls with blonde hair, and that that's, I, I didn't decide that, it just kind of happens. I have no, and not that, not that people decide their, um, sexual orientations, but I'm involved. It, it like, in some ways I can just sit back and say, I'm not, I, I take no part in that attraction. It's right. Just, or you think about like magnets, you know, we could talk about magnets being attracted. And so when we think about the word attracted, right, it's like, there's something outside of us perhaps pulling us in a direction. Whereas desire, it's like, well, there is something like welling up in me that's reaching out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, yeah, that's great. So, so, um, man, I want to. So part of the reason, you know, this has all come up is I sense the need for the church to maybe sometimes take a step back from this issue being very controversial about how do we pastorally. Um, you know, handle these different situations. And I feel like, I feel like one of the biggest questions that might be the most fruitful and that everyone could get behind is just, you know, what does Jesus have to offer all of us? But also like more specifically to this topic, like what does Jesus have to offer someone who's gender questioning or someone who um, might be experiencing same sex desires? And it's, it's so fascinating, especially on youth ministry. I really feel like we're kind of on on the grounds with this because I mean we're, we're already starting to have seventh graders who are having to wrestle with the question of what is my sexual identity what like and what what gender do I most associate with in middle school I had the hardest time just figuring out like what to wear to school you know like so to be to be struggling with some of these really really intense questions around the time of puberty is so crazy and um I think, I think we can get really almost scared, even as parents, you know, and I can totally understand that you get scared. You're like, what do you, what do you mean my daughter or my son is, is wrestling with this? And I feel like maybe focusing even just briefly on like, well, what does Jesus have to offer all of us in these desires? Um, you know, related to what you're saying, like, well, the desire of your heart, I don't know what, how, how have you found it helpful to talk about, to kind of connect those desires maybe back to Jesus? Right. Well, I think the first thing, you know, if we're looking at the Gospels, I, I think someone, people very quickly say, well, Jesus said nothing about homosexuality, mm. and therefore nothing about the Gospels are relevant yeah. <laughs> to your experience. Like, they also said nothing about, like, I don't know, the atom bomb and, and all sorts of, like, <laughs> didn't say anything about Netflix. Like, yeah. But it doesn't mean that, like, we can't apply these principles, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's really important thing to understand first is like Jesus understands the ache, mm. right? He understands the desire. I mean, I think we can see that in stories like the hemorrhaging woman, right? We just heard that, um, at mass this week. Um, here's this woman who 
you know, for 10 years has felt an outcast for a very internal reason, right? This bleeding. Um, and what does Jesus do? You know, he looks her in the eye, he heals her. Uh, the woman at the well uh, with her multiple husbands, right? This, this search, this search for intimacy. Mm. Um, and Jesus speaks right into that. You know, he, he gives her the time of day. Uh, Zacchaeus is obviously, you know, wrestling with his profession of being a tax collector. There's something going on internally that causes him to seek out Jesus. Uh, and before Zacchaeus mentions anything verbally of wanting to convert his heart, wanting to change, Jesus meets him at the foot of the tree and says, hey, I'm coming over for dinner. Mm, yeah. I'm in your house. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so... You know, I think Jesus gets it. You know, he's on the cross and, and feels abandoned, right? Jesus understands the search. He understands the ache of the human heart. Um, but I, I think sometimes when we want to accompany people, we stop at that point, mm. right? We're like, well, I just want to understand. I want to understand. I want to understand. I want to understand. And that's first. You know, I think there's a lot of people in the church right now who... Um, who because they see some people that speak in accompaniment language just staying at understanding, they devalue the understanding. Mm. They say, well, that's not enough. That's not going to work. You're not leading them anywhere. So we don't need to do that. Well, that's not true. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's what Jesus yeah. says, right? Yeah. Right? Um, and I think as a person who deals with this, we can know that Christ, um, Christ gets it. You know, I mean... Honestly, like we say that Jesus was like us in all things but sin. Mm. You know, did Jesus experience these desires? Like if he truly was like us in all things but sin, I don't know. I mean, don't burn me at the stake for that. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, you know, we say he understands temptation, right? He gets it. Um, so, you know, he, he's there and he's, he's with us. Um, we kind of be the first part. Um, I think secondly, he, he proposes the same solution to everyone. And, and I think sometimes that's tough to, to get around because I think there is a uniqueness. I'll, I'll get to the solution in a second, but I think there is a uniqueness to this particular experience, just as there's a uniqueness to any suffering, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think what's particularly unique about this, uh, especially for those who experience same-sex desires as persistent and exclusive, mm. um, I think there's a, a lack of a sense of choice or autonomy, um, particularly if you think in regards to vocation, right? Like if someone experiences um, desires for the opposite sex, but they feel called to priesthood, like at some point, like they have to choose. Like God gives them the choice to yeah. like, well, you're going to stay in the seminary or are you not? Yeah. Um, you know, or are you going to be married or are you not, right? Whereas someone with persistent same-sex desires might be rejected by seminaries, depending on the diocese, might be rejected by religious orders, uh, depending on other, you know, psychological factors that go yeah. along with that. Um, they might not be able to enter into a valid marriage canonically. Mm. Uh, and so there's this sense of like, well, okay, so do I... I follow the church and be alone or I leave the church and I can be with a person I love. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, and, and there's, there's a unique, there's a, there's a uniqueness to that, that, that maybe isn't experienced in quite the same way. 
um, vocation, when, when someone who's opposite sex attracted is, and persistently and exclusively opposite sex attracted, they don't have to ask that question in the same way when you're discerning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, so I think, you know, in that suffering, right, Christ does offer hope, right? You know, I'm just thinking of that, uh, that passage when, Jesus says, and you know, anyone who's given up like mother, father, children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for the sake of the kingdom, mm-hmm. like I'm going to pay you back a hundredfold. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have that hope and that grace that Christ is like, look, there are people like, yes. Like if you choose me to the exclusion of these other things, like I got you, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I got you. Yeah. Um, we don't always hope in that. And we don't always trust in that. Um, well, that can sound that can sound kind of scary. I mean, I'm mm. I'm just thinking of someone listening saying, "Okay, well, you're saying, I I could choose to just kind of be alone." Um, but what is it that I mean? I know that you know the answer, but you know what is it that someone gains by being alone with Jesus? I mean, what what is attractive about that? <laughs> that doesn't sound sound very right. fun. That doesn't sound very fun. <laughs> Oh, then why are you Christian? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and I don't mean that to be, you know, snarky or whatever, but um, ultimately I think we forget that that's the end goal of the Christian life, mm. right? Is actually union with God, right? Yeah. Um, it's actually transformation to become more and more like him, right? The original state of things, if we're going back to the beginning, or the original state of the human person um, is in that original solitude, right? That there's a part of our experience, and granted, yes, then you're drawn to communion, but there's a part of our human experience that if we want to be fully ourselves, um, no matter our vocation, no matter who, you know, we need to enter into that solitude and enter into that space with the Lord. Yeah. Um, and it can be scary. It can yeah. be scary in this culture. It can be scary to believe that God actually can be enough for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely don't believe it every day or all parts of all day. Yeah. Um, you know, but Christ himself says it. You know, if you think about, like, do not worry about your life. Yeah. Um, and he's not just talking about, like, don't worry about your finances. And <laughs> don't worry about, you know, the stuff we normally preach about, I think, yeah. with that. like be less stressed because Jesus loves you. Like, um, you know, but like, he's not just talking about our physical needs. Um, but, but I think we can interpret that passage to say all of our needs, right? Our emotional needs, our, uh, our spiritual needs, all of that. Um, Christ is speaking into that, right? Like, do not worry about your life. Like sufficient is today. Um, and that in, in leaning on him and in trusting in him, um, you know, as St. Paul says, like he is going to unveil in our lives more than we can ever ask or imagine. You know, so the question is, no matter what we struggle with, do we actually have hope in Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Do we? Do we actually trust him? Yeah. And some, and and a lot of people don't. And that, that's, I, and it's, I, I'm so glad that you said that, um, you know, there's, there's this decision between being alone and in the church or being welcomed by a parade outside of the church. You know what I mean? So there's, um, um, I don't know, maybe you'd let me tell the story cause I think I might've told you this already, but we went on a, um, summer camp. We're going next week to 
to Covecrest, and we went on a week-long summer camp. This was a few years ago, and I went with a group from my from my last parish, and um, there was a girl who, you know, four days in, everyone else is having extreme conversion and, and experiencing really powerful, you know, moments with God, and um, this one girl was like, man, I'm just not, not getting anything. And so she pulled me aside and talked to me about this and said, I'm, I'm just not feeling anything. I'm not. So I was, you know, talking with her, Hey, well, you know, what, what's, what's going on in your life? Like what's, what's going on? And she kind of really froze up and then said, well, I like, I'm very attracted to this other girl. Um, and she is not Catholic. She's not Christian. Uh, and she wants to have a relationship with me and I'm, I'm really torn. And, and we've been in this friendship and like maybe at one point they were dating or something. And, but anyways, really, really smart girl. I mean, this is like, I mean, she's senior in high school. She's studying like Chinese and you know, she's like advanced arts major, like already doing all these big art projects. She's super smart. I mean, all college classes, um, was really into the faith, uh, in the sense like intellectually. And I remember, mm-hmm. I remember just looking at her and saying, you know, do you, do you, do you know the, the church's arguments for why that, that would be like sinful? And she's like, yeah, I know all of it. I know theology of the body. I mean, she could quote to me theology of the body or Christopher West or some of these, the church's articulations of like, you know, this, this is a disordered desire and this is, you know, man and woman and complementarity. She knew all of it. And so you know, I just, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I start praying internally and I'm just like, you know, the only thing I can tell you, cause I know that, you know, all the arguments, like for me to sit here and say, well, you know, this is a sin and you need to not do it. Um, she, she's smarter than that. Right. Mm-hmm. She, she needed something more. She needed something. She needed a bigger desire or, or somewhere to point that desire. And, and the only thing I could think to say, and this, this stuck with me for the rest of my life um, this moment, because I wanted to just tell her all the arguments was, I, I said, well, all, all I can say is like, do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And I, I, you know, I'm tempted right now in this conversation to talk about this that you're dealing with, but at the same time, I think like, let's just forget about it for today. <laughs> you know, let's forget about it for the rest of the week. And like, have you encountered the joy of Jesus? Like Jesus gives us joy and Jesus gives us hope and love and acceptance and he wants you exactly how you are and let's just not for now for these next couple days like just strive after jesus because she was telling me that she wanted jesus she was telling me like i do want that i was like all right well um and man that stuck with me for the rest of my life because i think up until that point i had been trying to approach it as an argument and i had been telling people well here's why it's wrong you know but it was that moment looking someone in the eyes who's like, I know. And, and, and the heart of it was, she said, I have no desire to follow what I know is right. She's like, I just have no desire to, I know it's wrong, but I have no desire to do what I, I know is right. Mm-hmm. It's like St. Paul says in Romans, like, how come I can't do the thing I want to do? And I do the thing I don't want to do, you know? And there's something deeper than just intellectually, you know, agreeing to an argument. I think Jesus offers something mm-hmm. way deeper. And I think that's the approach Jesus himself takes. Um, As you were talking, I I was just reminded of uh, just Mary Magdalene. Um, And while, I mean, historically, we can't exactly pinpoint who she was or 
you know, which Bible stories actually applied to her. Uh, but I think there's a general consensus, right, that she was sinful in some way, right? Seven demons cast out of her. Like there was some, I mean, we're all sinful, right? There was something in her that was like struggling and, and in tension with, um, with herself, with God, with others. Um, and we don't actually know why she changed her heart. Um, but we do know that she became one of Christ's most devoted followers. She was with him on the cross. She was the first one to hear the proclamation of the resurrection. Uh, she never married the rest of her life. You know, there was something about Jesus uh, that that changed her. And, and, and I highly doubt it was just a, a retelling of the moral code, right? That was yeah, the, yeah. the approach of the Pharisees, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, giving these heavy burdens to the people, right? Mm. Just a list of the laws. Um, and who did Jesus go to? Like Jesus went to those people for whom the law wasn't quite enough, right? Mm. Everyone knew it. The Jewish people, they all knew the law, right? You couldn't grow up among the Jewish people and not know the law. But who does Jesus go to? He goes to the people that are like working it out in their hearts, mm that know the law on some level, but it's like, for some reason, are making these life decisions that contradict the law. Mm. Um, and Jesus goes to meet their hearts wow. first. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, that's that's a really beautiful story that you shared, yeah. and, and I hope that she was able to experience some of that joy, you know, on, on the retreat. Um, and I, I, I think what, uh, what a lot of what we're talking about is this difference, or the tension between how do we love someone um, without approving something contrary to God's law. And I think, I mean, do you feel like that's, that's really the tension? Like, how do I love someone and not, um, not in some ways put my name in approval next to this thing that this person's doing? I think that's, that's the problems we're seeing with the church trying to, to, to help, um, people struggling with this. I think it's the problem where, you know, parents or, or people who have a relative or someone are, are trying to figure out, you know, what do I do? I know some people who, um, you know, if, if their if their son and, and his girlfriend are living with each other, like they won't even go to their house. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause like, Oh, well they're not, they're not married. Like, um, like we've kind of cut them off and it's such a, such a fine line between taking a strong stand for what is right. But then also, um, you know, how, where does that, where does that love come in? And, it's such a fine line. I feel like there's no really easy answer, but how do you, because I know there's probably some people listening to this who, who get uneasy by the way we're talking about loving yeah. someone and, and they're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Are, is, is this podcast all about how this is okay? You know, is this, and that's immediately what they're hearing. And I'm hearing it in my head too. I'm like, like, is someone listening to this might be tempted to, well, are they just saying that, that this is fine? And, and I don't know. I, I, I don't even have a, a really good answer for how to, to deal with that tension. Well, I think first to clarify uh, the church's teaching that the attractions themselves, right? That what is occurring on a level of the emotions is not inherently sinful, right? It's ordered in a direction that is not God. And so in that sense, it's maybe not, it's not the most perfect of emotions we could be experiencing yeah. by a stretch of the imagination. Um, but it's in the will that, things become good, evil, vice versa, right? So uh, just to clarify that point. Um, but, um, you know, I, it's interesting because Jesus attracted controversy. 
Um, and I was actually kind of praying about this uh, last night a little bit when, when I knew we were going to have a conversation. Of, you know, when, when Jesus was eating with the sinners, right? He was yeah. accused several times in the gospel. And he was eating with these people who, again, knew the law but were living contrary to it. So now I'm going to compare this to people living, um, living out these same sex desires in a relationship. Um, so Jesus attracts controversy. And, uh, you know, the Pharisees get a bad rap from Jesus himself <laughs> and throughout the last several thousand years. Um, but why were they concerned? You know, they were concerned because in their minds, Jesus was causing scandal. Mm. Right? They were like, well, you know, and Jesus himself even says at one point, like, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you called him a glutton and a drunkard. Right? Mm. Like, why? Because in their minds, like, the Messiah should not be a glutton and a drunkard. The Messiah shouldn't be associated to validate sin. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. We know that's not what he was doing. Yeah. Um, like, to be there and not be shouting, repent, 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 right. seems, seems wrong. Like, Jesus, you're waiting too long to shout repent. Right. But I think it all, it, it comes down to is, well, do we have hope? Do we have hope in the goodness of the human heart? Mm. Like, do we actually have hope that God is working in ways we cannot understand? Do we actually have hope that his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts? Um, or do we need to be sidewalk preachers to everyone we meet, you know? Mm. Mm. Um you know, I, I think of those examples that you shared of, I think family, right, is where there's this, this deepest tension a lot of times that it's so, so close to home. Um, but, like, does your family member, like, really not know what you think? Mm. You know, like, yeah, and maybe, maybe they're making an assumption, and that's a good yeah, conversation yeah. to have in charity of, like, well, actually, no, this is this is what I think here. Um, like... And I guess my question would be by by not associating, right? By not going to dinner, um, what are you really trying to say? Mm. Like, why? Like, why do you think that's important? Yeah. Um, and I actually had to challenge a family member on this very same thing. <laughs> like, why don't you want to go over for dinner? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't want to validate. Like, okay. Like, to whom? To them? Like, do, do you, you know, they know what you already think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, and so obviously, you know, that's in people's own conscience to, to sort out. Um, but I think, yeah, like why? Like, do do we not think that the truth can defend itself? Mm. First of all, yeah. Um, and do we not believe in the, the goodness of the human heart? That if I'm loving this person, if in my heart and in my head, I, I know and I understand the teaching, right? Um. The person isn't going to lose anything by my kindness. Mm. Mm. You know, the person isn't going to lose anything by my compassion. Yeah. And if it comes to the point where that person is like, well, I know you disagree with this. Why are you being so nice to me? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, what a great evangelization opportunity in that space. Right. Yeah. Uh, now the door is just is opened mm. or like, well, hey, you I, I don't know. And I know that's not an easy answer. And I, I know that's not necessarily a practical solution. Um, but I think we got to find some place in the middle yeah. where it's possible for us to hold these integrated teachings in our heads, to hold them in our hearts. Um, 
And I, I really do not believe that compassion and kindness is somehow a compromise. Mm, yeah. Because that would mean that the church is contradicting itself, yeah. right? You look at the catechism. It has three paragraphs about this topic, right? Um, and it talks about this is the objective teaching about the actions. But it also says that homosexual persons must be treated with respect and compassion and sensitivity. Yep. Yeah. So... I mean, if you don't want to love people, if you don't want to talk to people, you're actually contradicting the catechism. Mm. Yeah. So the church believes we can live in that tension, and I have hope that she's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is such a good conversation, and I am so glad, Anna, that you that you are just, like, taking this up, because I think this is definitely needed in the church, and I think um, this nuance and this tension, like, we got we to gotta just kind of lean into it, and... Um, maybe it's just kind of, um, kind of like as we're wrapping up, um, I know that there, there are parents who, who are worried, you know, and what, what do, what do you say to the parent? Um, you know, I, I found that there's, there's two, those two reactions, right? Either the parent that, that is very concerned with love and is like, I love my daughter no matter what, it doesn't matter what she what she does. Um, and then there, you also have the parents that are very, very scared and, and come in with the huge, like 10 pound hammer, just like swinging away. Like, this is wrong. This is wrong. How, you know, what, what would be your words to someone, uh, maybe a parent who just recently found out either their middle schooler or their high schooler is just, um, just thinking along these lines, maybe not, maybe not living it out completely, but, um, you know, they're just starting to get suspicious or maybe they, they know that their daughter or son has, has kind of talked this way, what would you say, um, you know, to the parent, especially most, especially like talking about, you know, Jesus and what he can offer. Uh, I actually just heard a, a priest shared with me who was at a talk given by, um, father Scalia, like a uh, justice Scalia's son. Who's priest. Mm. Um, and he was addressing this and he actually said like his advice to parents is don't say anything about it for five years. Wow. Wow. Um, which I was like, oh, five, maybe three. I don't know. <laughs> but, well, what does he mean by that? Right? Yeah. What does he mean by that? And he means that, like, especially at that level, like, they're still figuring it out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, their experience, it's, you know, it's puberty, it's hormones. Like, who even knows how this stuff is really triggered? There's science. The jury's really out. Um, they're, you know, you talk to people who deal with this, and their stories are so, so different from one another's, Right. Um, and, and I think we all know for teenagers, like the moment you like come down on something super harsh, the mo that's the moment where they decide to run in the opposite direction, right? Yeah. Cause they're teenagers. Um, and so just to give them space and time, um, to, to figure themselves out. Um, but at the same time, be that guide for an authentic anthropology, right? You don't necessarily have to address like well, this is wrong and why, like, come on, Johnny, let me tell you about unit of procreative dimensions of sex. Um, which I mean, they should be learning that too, but, um, affirm, you know, if it's, if it's a young boy, like affirm his masculinity, mm. you know, affirm a girl, like affirm her femininity. You mm. know, if there's things that they're doing that are maybe gender non-conforming, like stereotypically, like affirm their masculine femininity in that space. Mm. Right. Because um, maybe part of what they're struggling with is like, well, normal girls don't do this. Normal boys don't think this. Mm -hmm. Like, well, you know, like 
people think all sorts of things and it doesn't make you weird. Yeah. It doesn't make you strange and it doesn't mean I love you any less. Mm. Right? Um, to affirm the good in your child. Because um, I will tell you one thing. Most people that I've talked to that deal with this have some issues with their parents yeah. in those formative years, middle mm. school, high school. Like that I would say is a common thing. They're not all the same issues, yeah. right? I would say that is a common theme, that there's something about those relationships that's damaged, that's confusing, that is um, not as loving as the child wished it was. Mm. Um, and so I think that is one key area. Again, not to not to just preach, but just to affirm, mm. uh, to love your child, to affirm the way they're made, um, you know, affirm, yeah, their masculinity and their femininity. Uh, and to keep expressing your love of their uniqueness, right? Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like that. So where can people go to help support the Eden Invitation, learn more, all of that goodness? Yeah, so we do have a website. It's EdenInvitation.com. Uh, it's a little bare bones right now. We've got some blogs up. Um, we're making some new resources. We actually just filmed uh, some witness videos nice. uh, a week ago. Um, but all of this... Um, yeah, and, and there's also ways online that you can really partner in our in our mission. Like if, if you believe in this, uh, if you believe that this is uh, an area that we need to really be entering into more as a church, uh, there's also ways to support our mission uh, financially online as well. Uh, and you can find that on, on even awesome. Yeah. Are there any other resources that, that come to the top of your head for parents? Like, uh, yeah, actually, Courage just launched a new website. It's Truth and Love, so truthandlove.com, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but specifically geared towards people with loved ones in their lives who experience same-sex desires, yeah. um, and they have t loads of experience, you know, decades yeah, yeah. of experience in, in this. Any, topic, so. any books? Um, would you recommend Theology of the Body, the Tome, <laughs> to people? <or> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, books-wise, off the top of my head, the Catechism. Um, yeah, just, right. Just Nothing immediately. There's definitely some books out there, but they're a little more uh, testimonial based. If you've got more of a theological brain, uh, Living the Truth in Love um, is a series of essays compiled by Janet Smith and Father Paul Check, the former director of Courage. Um, that it's more intellectual, uh, but it tackles lots of different topics. Cool. So that could be a good one. Cool, cool. I also think um, Life Team, if you go to lifeteam.com, they have. Um, just maybe, I'm not sure how much of like explanatory it is, but, uh, it's a story of a, a teen that struggled with this and then their, their life story of, you know, finding Jesus and finding, you know, their desires ordered towards him suddenly. So, and they have a fantastic Q and A section in that as oh, well. Oh, cool. The, cool. the book is more testimonial focused, but each chapter has a Q and A that's a little bit more explanatory. Perfect. Uh, that's another great resource. Thanks for bringing it up. Perfect. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Anna. Thank you, and it's going to be really exciting. I'm glad. I'm glad, guys. Get in and support this now, so you can say you were there at the beginning. You know, like <laughs> before this is uh, some huge thing because it's definitely really needed. I'm glad you're doing this, Anna. Yeah. Thanks, Edmund. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>